Well, good evening. It's good to be with you. I appreciate our times back together as we get together and open our Bibles and talk about the things of the Lord. We're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel in just a moment. I encourage you to get your Bibles and be finding the book of 2 Samuel. We're going to be walking through a few chapters there in just a moment. Love that song we just sang. It's not about location. Let me live close to you. It's about our hearts and our walk with the Lord. What a difference it makes every day when we walk close to the Lord. That helps us with our decisions, and that helps us with our choices. And that is really the, the concept the Bible wants us to have as we are disciples of Jesus Christ. The number 70 has something to do with us. It's not the age of Larry Beckham. Now, somebody is surprised about that, but no, it's not Larry's age. It's not the number of cars in the parking lot. There might be 70. I don't know. It's not the number of doors in this building. Could be 70. I'm not sure. I've never counted all the doors in this building. It's not the average age of the eldership, thankfully. 70 is the number of children from newborn to high school in this congregation. We have 70. I didn't count the college kids. Just newborn to high school. That's larger in some congregations. That's something to think about. That number 70 is about 20% of our AM worship number. So about 20% of this church is from newborn to high school. And that's something to think about. Now, according to statistics, sadly, what we find out is that 50% of those who are that age in a decade or two will not be worshiping the Lord. Now, that's just a statistic. But when we put the number 70 up there and we start thinking about our people, our faces, our children, that'd be 35. And who among us would want to say, well, let's just pick them out? Who would want to do that? And to think, if nothing changes in a decade or two, 20% of this church is not going to be worshiping the Lord. And that's concerning, isn't it? And that's enough to have a lot of red flags and to think about these things. And so all that leads us to our thoughts this evening is we're going to talk about the idea of the young man. Is the young man safe? We're going to go to the book of 2 Samuel and talk about Absalom for just a little bit. Use him as a lesson for us. Jason did a great lesson this morning about the role of all of us, but particularly mothers and how they can make a difference. This being Mother's Day, I want to, I want to just kind of spin off that and talk about parenting. I don't think when we get to heaven, one of our complaints are going to be, Lord, when we were on earth, our preachers talked too much about the family. I don't think we can get enough lessons about the family. Our families are under attack, whether we talk about the marriage, whether we talk about raising our children, whether we talk about what we do as a family. And so this evening we want to just kind of keep going with that concept and talk about this idea of parenting. And we'll see that this is an expression that David will use in the book of 2 Samuel about his son Absalom. A little bit of background before we get to the text. David is the king of Israel at this point. Israel is strong, strong as they've ever been, very wealthy, very powerful. David's in the position where he has other nations paying him tribute. 
David is in a position where other nations are afraid to make him war with him because he's so strong and powerful. David has had multiple wives, multiple children by those wives. One of the oldest ones is by the name of Absalom. And we remember in the book of 2 Samuel and in chapter 13 that Absalom's sister, Tamar, was raped by her stepbrother. David did nothing. Two years pass. Absalom takes it upon himself to settle the score, and he puts Ammon to death. Then he flees, and he's gone for a long period of time. When we get to chapter 14 of the book of 2 Samuel, and I want to just grab a few verses here, just kind of show this with you. Let's begin in verse 23. Joab, and that's David's uh, chief of staff, we could say, or his general, Joab arose and went to Gershon and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. However, the king, that's David, verse 24, said, Let him turn to his own house. Let him not see my face. So Absalom turned to his own house and did not see the king's face. When we look at verse 28 of this chapter, it says, Now Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. That is a broken family right there. Here's a man who could rule the world, but he couldn't rule his family. And so there's a lack of communication, a lack of trouble, or a lack of discussion going on. We move to the next chapter, and we see that Absalom views David as being a weak king. So he sets about a series of steps to steal the throne. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15, that he provided a chariot and horses and 50 men in numbers to run before him. Rose early in the morning, stood before the way of the gate. When a man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Absalom would say, See, your claim is good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. Absalom won the heart of the people. In verse 6 it says, In this manner Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the heart of the men of Israel. He's stealing the kingdom right away from his father. We get to chapter uh, 16 now as we, as we continue. Let's look at verse 13, verse 14 of the same chapter, chapter 15. Then a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee. David never ran from Philistines, never ran from a giant, never ran from a lion, never ran from a bear. But here, he's running from his own son. He leaves Jerusalem for fear and trying to find safety then. We go to chapter 16, and we find that Absalom does a series of things to embarrass his father, embarrass the king. Verse 21, we read about one of the counselors to Absalom. He says, go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep in his house. Then all Israel will hear what you have done and how you made yourself odious to your father. Odious is to be a stench. Odious is to stink. Odious is an embarrassment. You do this in front of all Israel. The next verse says, They pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went to his father's concubines in sight of all Israel. He's sticking a finger in his father's eye. He's embarrassing him before the entire nation here. In chapter 17, we see that there is an attempt here by Absalom once again to 
uh, take over the throne. Absalom says, uh, his counselor says to him, please let me choose 12,000 men that I may arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him when he is weary and exhausted and terrify him so that all the people who are with him will flee. Then I, listen to this, verse 2, chapter 17, then I will strike down the king alone. I'm going to kill your dad. That's what he's saying. I'm going to kill your dad. Verse 4, so the plan pleased Absalom. Are you getting this picture here? And so then we move on to chapter 18, and we see that Absalom moves to take on the city, which means try to kill David. In verse 9 of the chapter, it says, Now Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule. There's a, there a major battle taking place here. In fact, uh, just before this, it talks about in verse 6 and 7 how the, the men assembled. David's men killed 20,000 men of Absalom's people. Verse 7, verse 9, Absalom's riding his chariot. His hair gets stuck in a tree. He had long hair. He got stuck in a tree. When Joab comes along, verse 12 and 13, he throws spears at him and he kills Absalom. At the very end here, as message is brought back to David, two times he asks this question, is the young man Absalom safe? And this is kind of a sad story of a great man of God as we think about that. And so tonight, that's going to be our concern. That's what we want to talk about as we focus upon this idea of parenting. Is the young man safe? Every newborn that sleeps in his little crib, mom and dad, are concerned about that. Debbie and I have been doing some babysitting of our grandkids. And what they have is these little baby monitors. And I find myself watching it like a TV. Oh, he moved. Okay, I wonder if he's okay. And we're just, we're just focused on these things. Is he safe? That is a concern. First time your child has a sleepover at someone else's house. Mom and dad don't get much sleep because you're worried, is the young man safe? First time your child goes out driving by himself or herself, is the young man safe? When they go off to college, is the young man safe? And those are questions that we wonder about all through their lives. And there's reasons for that. Number one, the, one of the reasons is the world we live in is not safe physically. We drive about town, we see these big highway signs. And every once in a while you'll get this text on your phone. Amber alert. A child has been taken. And we see that violence in schools. We see the idea of bullies. We, we live in a world that's no longer safe. Some of us grew up and we were riding bicycles out way past the dark hours. We would never do that today with our children because we know the world simply isn't safe. The world is not safe morally. Our world right now, especially our country, is up in arms about abortion. And we haven't figured out which preacher is going to preach it and exactly when we're going to preach it. But we're going to have a lesson real soon about abortion. We need to see what God says about this. And to talk about this, the very idea that I can end this pregnancy simply because I don't want it. And people are up in arms that someone would say that's morally wrong. That's where our country is. It's not morally safe today. The statistics on drinking, sexuality among young people is just off the charts. And then thirdly, the world is not safe spiritually. 
live in a time where people are more concerned about who kissed who in Hollywood than the Word of God. We live in a time where people don't know the Word of God. And in the modern churches today, they're more interested in the flavor of the coffee and the wellness of the body and a good time than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so all of this reminds us, as David was asking about Absalom, really he asked too late in life, he should have been asking that a long time earlier, is the young man safe? What we want to look at is we consider this concept of parenting. It's interesting, we, we see this concept generationally, and Jason's kind of talking about this a little bit today, about the idea of generations, about teaching one another. And we see this in, in our Bible, particularly in the book of Joshua and the first part of the book of Judges. Because what we see, first of all, is the idea of the committed. In Joshua 24, we see that wonderful phrase, choose you this day whom you'll serve. And then it talks about how we will serve God. And at the end of that passage, it says, and all Israel served the Lord, with, uh, served the Lord all the days of their life. They were committed to God. But what happened after that was those who started making a compromise. And we see nation after nation not doing what God said. Instead of driving out the nations, they just allowed the nations to stay there. That would be an impact upon them. They would introduce idolatry among them. They would intermarry among them. And that became a real problem because they started compromising and then that led to the idea of simply being conquered. And we see as Judges begins, it talks about a new generation rose up. They did not know the Lord. And what they did is they served the idols. And how does this happen is very simple. What happens is truth at the very beginning is something that's accepted, but it's not applied personally. I believe it, but I don't do it myself. And then from that... Certain truths are avoided. I don't like this topic. I don't like this subject. I don't like this doctrine. So I just ignore it and avoid it. And then what happens is wrong is accepted. And then that leads to the idea of truth being rejected. That's how you go from the chair of the committed to the chair of the compromised to the chair of the conquered. It happens the same way as we consider those things. And so this evening as we talk about is the young man safe? I want to share with you this three simple lessons. Number one, as we think about parenting, parenting is hard, it is messy, it is never-ending, but the upside is wonderful. One of the greatest jobs you'll ever have is being a parent. One of your greatest responsibilities is being a parent. And it's difficult, these things. I like this little thing I found years ago called Murphy's Law for Parents. It says, the tennis shoes you replace today will go on sale next week. Always happens. The leak-proof thermos will leak. The chances of a piece of bread falling with a grape jelly side down is directly proportional to the cost of your carpet. The garbage truck will be two doors past your house when the argument over who it is to take out the trash that day. The shirt your child must wear today will be the only one that needs to be washed and needs to be mended. Gym clothes left at school and lockers mildew at a faster rate than other clothing. And your chances of being seen by someone you know dramatically increases when you drive your child to school without combing your hair or wearing your jamba pants. Those are things that just happen. Now, what we see by this, again, is this idea of that parenting is something that involves you. I was talking to the, a young parent just this past week. 
And they were telling me, we got to call the plumber. I said, what's going on? Well, my child flesh an orange down the toilet. And my first question was, why did he do that? He said, why does he do anything he does? And we tried everything. We have to call a plumber. So when we think about parenting, it's difficult. And those of us that have got our kids raised, we need to be helping with the grandkids as we try to encourage our children to be the parents that God wants them to be. Four major mistakes. I see this in the life of David. I see this today in different things. And that is, number one, being more concerned about the physical than the spiritual. Grades over God, making the team over being in the church. When we focus upon the physical more than the spiritual, we're going to have some difficulties. Secondly, being afraid to stand up for what is right. And again, as a parent, you will not be your child's best friend as much as you want that. As much as you want your child to be your buddy, you are the parent. You have to draw the lines, establish the boundaries, and set the rules. And by doing that, there are times your child may not like that. But not to do that, being afraid to stand up to those things, allows the child to have his own way, and that's never the right way. Number three, not knowing what's going on around them. And that's reality today. I believe every parent that has a child at home, if your child has a cell phone, you need to know all the passwords, or else they don't have the phone. You need to know these things. You need to know who they're talking to. You need to know who's texting them. You need to know what pictures they're sharing with each other. And again, to see how important that is. And then the tendency to give in because you don't want a battle. You see that every Saturday morning at Walmart. Somebody's standing in line, and that child sees all those things right there at the checkout line. That little child starts throwing a fit. Mom says no. Dad says no. And after a while, oh, all right. They give in. They give in. Because they don't want to battle. Now, if you get your Bible, turn with me to the book of Proverbs. I want you to notice, and we've looked at this recently before, in Proverbs chapter 3, and then also Proverbs chapter 4, how the, the flavor of the first few chapters of the book of Proverbs is about a parent's instructions. He says in Proverbs 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. He's talking to his son. Chapter 4, verse 1, hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. Now, can you imagine all the things Absalom missed? Can you imagine sitting at the dinner table with David? Tell me about Psalms 23. Just tell me what came to your mind as God inspired you to write that. You actually grabbed a bear by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin? You did that? Tell me about Goliath. How big was Goliath? Tell me about all those battles. All those stories. All those adventures. All that faith. What missed opportunity. And what I want us to think about when we consider this, what we're looking at and driving at is to build a relationship with your child. That's what I see missing here in the life of David. I do not see a relationship with his son Absalom. How is it that over a period of five years, you have zero communication with your own child? How is it you bring your child back to the city you are in, but you say, I'm not going to see him. I don't want to see him. What kind of broken, dysfunctional concept that is. Now, was it because David was too busy running the kingdom? Was it because he never listened to Absalom? Was it because he didn't like confrontations at home? 
Was it because Absalom had an attitude and didn't care about anyone but himself? Whatever the reason, we see that there's not a relationship. And as a parent, you have to have that relationship. You want a child to trust your wisdom, not the wisdom of a counselor who says, let me go kill your father. We want your child to learn that, that, that your words are solid and right. And that starts early. And that starts staying with it. And that's fighting for the soul of your child. Because if you don't fight for your soul's child, the soul of your child, someone else will get it. And we need to see how valuable that is as we consider these things. Number two, as we think about parenting, God can do amazing things with average parents. And I think one of the myths we have is as Christian parents, we have to be perfect. And we are not. And we are going to make mistakes. And we're going to learn. And we're going to do better. But God can do amazing things through us. In the book of Acts, if you will, in chapter 16, I see this. And, and this kind of mirrors off some of the verses Jason used this morning as he talked about young Timothy how he learned the scriptures from his mother and grandmother. But notice as Paul first comes to the city and meets young Timothy. Acts chapter 16 and the first three verses. It says, And he came to Derbe and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Not one church, but more than one church. Timothy, as a young man, is doing things. Timothy, as a young man, has faith. Timothy, as a young man, is serving. Paul wanted this man to go with him. Why? Because Timothy is impressive. He's young. He needs to learn a lot. But he's got a lot going for him. And so those are some of the things we need to keep before us. Children get the opportunity to witness grace and forgiveness in home. Children get the opportunity to learn the heart of a servant as they see their parents serving. From average parents have come shepherds in God's kingdom, have come deacons, have come preachers. And so just because you think, well, you know what, I'm just an average parent, that's great. God can work through you, and God can do great things through you as you do what God wants you to do. And then number three... Nothing beats getting into the book and getting the book into you. In the book of Psalms, chapter 119, the question is asked, how can a young man keep his way pure? The answer is, by the word of God. Now, now again, when you think about David and Absalom, what a contrast. What, op what opposites. David was the man after God's own heart. David wrote the majority of the Psalms. David is known as the sweet singer of Israel. David is the one who had many prayers to God. When it comes to Absalom, not one time do we read the word God coming out of his mouth. There are no prayers from Absalom. No psalms he wrote. There's no reference to any spirituality in the life of Absalom. And so again, when we think about this, great to have a David in the family. But to Jason's lesson today, we must teach and teach these lessons to everyone around us because without doing this, we have that generation that's going to be lost because we don't stick with what God wants us to do. And so when we think about living for Christ, particularly in the home, it must be something that's real, not fake, not artificial. 
Sometimes people grow up and think, well, we Christians are perfect. We never have a bad day. Everything goes our way. Well, that's not the way it is. They need to see what reality is like. They need to see something that's natural. They need to see something that's personal. And they need to see something that's consistent. Over and over and over again, that's the lesson and that's the idea that should be brought before them. It's been said, if children live with criticism, they'll learn to condemn. If they learn with hostility, they will learn to fight. If they live with ridicule, they learn to be shy. If they learn with shame, live with shame, they learn to feel guilty. If they live with tolerance, they learn to be patient. If they live with encouragement, they learn confidence. If they live with praise, they learn to, to appreciate. If they live with fairness, they learn justice. If they live with security, they learn to have faith. If children live with approval, they learn to like themselves. If children live with acceptance and friendship, they learn to find love in the world. What are they living with? That's the thought that's going through them. And so Psalms, or excuse me, Matthew 7 verse 24 teaches us that storms come. Storms come to our families. Disappointments come to our families. The promotion doesn't always come. Sometimes you don't make the team. Sometimes you're not first chair. Sometimes you don't get the scholarship. Sometimes you don't get the job. Sometimes money is tight. Sometimes you can't take the vacation other people are taking. Sometimes your friends may not like you. Sometimes you have to do things that the world considers not cool, not acceptable. But you get right with the Lord. That's the key. Our safety is in Jesus. Is the young man safe? Now here in a foyer, we have a policeman right now keeping us safe. We don't fear a bad guy coming in, because if it does, he's going to stand in the way and protect us. What about in your home? Do you allow your children to go into the rooms and shut the door and watch anything they want to watch on the tablet or the phone? That's something to be concerned about. Do you allow your kids to have any friends that they want to have? That's a concern, isn't it? And so when we think about this idea, is the young man safe? It shows us the wonderful responsibility God has placed upon us to do what God wants us to do. I gave you life, one parent says, but I cannot live it for you. I can teach you things, but I cannot make you learn. I can give you directions, but I cannot be there to lead you. I can allow you freedom, but I cannot account for it. I can take you to church, but I cannot make you believe. I can teach you right from wrong, but I cannot always decide for you. I can buy you beautiful clothes, but I cannot make you beautiful inside. I can offer you advice, but I cannot make you accept it. I can give you love, but I cannot force it upon you. I can teach you to share, but I cannot make you unselfish. I can teach you respect, but I cannot force you to show honor. I can advise you about friends, but I cannot choose them for you. I can advise you about drinking, but I cannot say no for you. I can warn you about drugs, but I cannot prevent you from using them. I can tell you about lofty goals, but I cannot achieve them for you. I can teach you about kindness, but I cannot force you to be gracious. I can warn you about sin, but I cannot make you moral. And what we're trying to impress upon us is the role we have as examples in the home. Let's end by going to the book of Ephesians. We know this passage so well. But in chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and I often wonder, late, late in David's life, as he often reminisced, if his greatest sorrows was what he did as a parent. 
conquered the world, brought peace to the nation, brought the kingdom to Jerusalem, brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, but his family was a disaster. And of all the things he did that was right, what he failed was major. And so in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, and fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This wonderful admonition is placed upon us as dads. That's our role as being the head of the house to get that family to heaven. And so is the young man safe? Well, that's a good question to think about tonight as you put your head on your pillow. They may be safe in your house, but are they safe on the inside? Is things going on that maybe shouldn't be going on there? Are they being pulled away from the Lord? Are you aware of these things? And to see how important it is. You know, when I was coming up with a picture for our slides we always do, I found that young picture of a soldier. Now, I look at that young guy up there, and he just looks like a little teeny. He looks like he'll be in high school. It made me think of my dad. My dad had just graduated from high school, just, a, just barely graduated, and off he went fighting in World War II. His brother was also fighting in World War II. And I cannot imagine what my grandma must have thought. She had two boys, both of, both of them in a war. Were the boys safe? But more important than the war of bullets and bombs is the war morally. The war that goes on all around us. It's one thing to have your child walk through a college graduation, a degree in hand, a job secure, but he has no place for God in his heart. That's not a success story. If we gain the world, Jesus says, and lose our soul, what does it value you? What's the profit to us? So that's our thoughts. I hope it gives you some things to think about. And again, as we're talking about parenting this day, we're talking about mothers, we're talking about parenting. This is something that just never, never ends. Once you sign up, you can't retire. You can't say, you know what, I, I'm going to quit being a parent. I just, it's, it's not for me. It's too late. Once the little ones start coming, you've got you to hang in there and you've got to do it. Get help. Get help from older parents. That's why the Bible talks about older men and older women in the book of Titus teaching some of us. Get help from God's word and do what God wants us to do. Because to have them grow up and just get out of the house, but you haven't taught them, is the biggest failure of all. And I think about that David-Absalom relationship. What a sad, sad story that is. So if we can be of any help to you, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.